All right, cool. This morning we are continuing our series in 1 John that we're calling Love Above All. And this morning's service uh, title for the sermon, I'm titling it from verse 18 of chapter 3, where John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is um, one of those phrases that just weighs so heavy on my heart when I read it, and not in a bad way, in a convicting way, because I think about my life, and so much of my life has to do with words. So much of my life, my vocation has to do with speaking, whether I'm sitting with a person um, and just uh, hearing what's going on in their life, or I'm doing a pastoral counseling session, or I'm recording a teaching, or I'm writing emails, or I'm praying, or I'm singing. So much of my life and, and ministry revolves around words. And here's this statement that John says, let's not love just in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. There's so much more to our faith. There's so much more to our, our journey with Christ than just words. We actually have to live it out, which is why John keeps returning to this word abide throughout his writings. So both in the gospel and in this letter, he uses the word abide over and over again. And this imagery of abiding is Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And as we abide in him, it's not that we're just communicating, though we are communicating. It's also that we're actually living out the life that he's called us to live, which means we're bearing fruit, not just in word or talk, but in truth and in deed, we're living the life, we're bearing the fruit that he's called us to. If you've been at Parker Ford or part of our community for any amount of time, you've probably heard me say something like this in the previous months, because it's so helpful and it's so true. All of scripture points back in some way to right at the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In fact, I am convinced, and these aren't just my thoughts, many scholars and, and uh, theologians have said this for a long time, much smarter men and women than me, but you can read anywhere in the scriptures, and no matter where, where you're reading, you could be reading in Amos, or you could be reading in Proverbs, or you could be reading in the New Testament, in the Gospels, or in the letters, the epistles, or the book of Revelation, and in some way, the scripture that you are reading is going to point straight back to the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Think about the, the story of Jesus, his own ministry. He does this at several points. Um, during, on the sermon, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets or the writings, anything that came before, but rather I came to fulfill it. He also says at a really interesting point, um, he, the Pharisees came to him and said to him, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they're pointing back to the Mosaic law where Moses accommodated to the people. And Jesus said, well, that was really just an accommodation because of the hardness of your hearts. And then, do you remember what Jesus says? He says, in the beginning, it was not so. And then he quotes from Genesis 1 and 2. He says, in the beginning, God created them, male and female. He created them in his image. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What Jesus is doing there is he's pointing back to the original design of God in Genesis. 
John is doing the same thing in this passage. He's pointing back to the original design of God, and he's also pointing back to the original consequences of the fall. Look at this passage again with me, starting in verse 11. John says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. Now, John is saying from the beginning of his own ministry, this is what you've heard. But I think there's a little bit of a play on words here where he's also saying, this is what you've heard from the Genesis, from the beginning, from God's design. In the beginning are the first words of the scripture. In the beginning, God created. And we know that the testimony of the scriptures is that God created out of an overflow of love. Now watch John tie these things together. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. God designed all of creation to work in harmony, in a harmony of love, both with um, Adam towards Eve, Eve towards Adam, Adam and Eve towards their children, and of course every human being towards God in a loving relationship where that was meant to flow relationally. In the beginning, this is what you've heard, that we should love one another. And then, this is why we can know he's talking about the beginning from Genesis, because now he starts to talk about Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. If you remember the story, after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were naked and ashamed, and then God came looking for them, calling out to them, and he has this conversation with them, and each of them receive a consequence. Eve is going to walk out her relationships and childbearing in pain. Adam is going to work the ground, but the ground is going to push back against him with thorns and thistles. And the snake is cursed, and it says that a son of man, and it's predicting Jesus all the way from the beginning of Genesis 3. It's saying that one like the son of man is going to come and crush you with his heel, but the serpent would strike the heel of the one who crushes the serpent's head. And then God removes them from the garden and bars them from entering back in with the angel and the, uh, the flaming sword. And they're not allowed to enter in lest they go and eat also from the tree of life and live forever. Then Adam and Eve have two sons. They have Cain and they have Abel. And they both offer an offering to God. And it says that God is pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain. So there was something about the way that Cain brought his offering that was self-motivated or selfish or, or done reluctantly or, or done in the wrong spirit. And the motivation of Abel's offering was that of first fruits, bringing to God the best that he had. And so Cain was jealous and angry, and he murdered his brother. So right there in the second generation of humans that are talked about in the scriptures, in Genesis chapter 4, is where this murder takes place. Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4 is the results. And we are still living out this same story and the consequences from this story even today. So John says, remember what you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. Now listen to this. Do not be surprised, brother, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life 
because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now John's going to quote from the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 where Jesus starts talking about the things that we struggle with? He talks about lust. He talks about envy. He talks about anger. He talks about enemies. Right off the bat, he knows the condition of the human heart, and he is ready to address it. And what does he say about lust? He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that a man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's going to take that same principle and apply it to other things as well, including anger. He says anyone who's angry at his brother or sister and calls them fool or raka and has this rage towards them in his heart is liable to judgment. And then later in chapter 5, he says, you have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. John's doing the same thing here. He's quoting from the Sermon on the Mount and taking it back to the story of Cain and Abel. If we are of the flesh and of the evil one, then that rage is going to have a place to dwell in our hearts, which could lead to murder and lead to anger. Listen to what he says. Everyone who hates his brother is already a murderer. This is exactly what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. But he's saying to us, we know in verse 14 that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In other words, we are partaking in, in the inheritance of Abel when we participate in loving one another. Adam and Eve were no longer able to eat the fruit of the garden. The other tree that they couldn't eat from was the tree of life. Now the tree of life is representative of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who is in relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior actually has begun already in this life feasting from the tree of life. Jesus puts it another way to the woman at the well. He says, come and drink this water and it'll bubble up within you, living water that will never dry up. Anyone in Christ has already started to participate in feasting from the tree of life because Jesus is the tree of life. And as we abide in him, we are participating in that life, which is why John says, we have now passed out of death. We're no longer eating from the tree of death that results in death. We're eating from the tree that results in life because we love the brothers. Then he says this, one of the most famous verses in the scriptures in verse 16, by this we know what love is. Or your translation might have it, this is how we know what love is. That he laid down his life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's still referring to the Cain and Abel story here, even as he talks about Jesus. Think about it. Cain took the life of his brother. But how do we know what love is? Living in a fallen, broken, destructive world. This is how we know what love is. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has gone before us and given us an example to live by. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this in terms of the Cain and Abel story. Jesus is the true, the true older brother. 
Colossians calls him the firstborn of all creation. In another place in the New Testament, Jesus is called our older brother. As we are adopted into the family of God, he is our father. Jesus is our perfect older brother. Jesus is the one, the older brother, that instead of being jealous of us, instead of being, um, yeah, instead of looking down on us, even while we were far from the Father, even while we were far from God, Jesus, rather than taking life, laid down his own life that we might be saved, that we might come into relationship with him. Another story this should remind us of is the famous uh, prodigal son story in Luke 15. Again, two brothers. Again, an older brother who wants to take from a younger brother. The younger brother squanders the inheritance, but then comes back lacking everything, crying out for mercy to the father. The father gives graciously and abundantly his love and possessions to the younger son. But what does the older brother do? He stays out in the field angry, angry and not wanting to go in and participate. And Jesus is the older brother that doesn't stand outside and point fingers. Jesus is the older brother that chases us into the brothels, that chases us into the pigsties, that chases us into the darkest places of our very hearts and souls, and then lays down his life for us, that we might eat of the fruit of life and live with him. But it doesn't stop there because it's not just that he's taking our souls and rapturing them into heaven. It's that he's offering us a new way to live, which is where this verse comes in. Let's not love just in talk. Let's love in the way that we live our lives. Listen to what John says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. Just as Christ has done for you, so you are to do for those in your life, whether or not you like them. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, this is the older brother in the prodigal son story, sees his brother in need but closes his heart, how does God's or the Father's love abide in him? It doesn't. Little children let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's obvious situations where we can serve, like the fire that happened this week in North Coventry, and people have been generously serving. But what about the little things? What about the people in your job that you don't really like? What about the people at your school that you'd rather avoid? What about your neighbors that you haven't developed a relationship with? What about the culture of immigrants that are moving into the area that you're uncomfortable with? For each of these people, just as for you, God has laid down his life through his son, Jesus Christ, and we are to love in the same way. He goes on to say, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Thank goodness that God is greater than our hearts. I, the amount of times my heart has condemned me after a thought or after a word spoken in anger or after I mishandled a situation, thanks be to God that as it says in the book of Hebrews, that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. Because if you remember that story, it says the blood of Abel cried out to God. And God said to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out for justice. 
The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And our hearts, even when they condemn us, God is greater because he knows everything. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. So it's that we both believe and we agree with his word and his truth, but then we live it out in word and in deed, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I had some questions I was going to have everyone work through this morning if we were outside, but let's just take a minute and reflect on this word. So where you are, close your eyes and just ask the Lord, who would you have me lay down my life for today? I want you to be that specific. I'm going to ask the same question of the Holy Spirit, and then Steph's going to come up and we're going to close our our service here with singing. But just for a minute, ask the Lord, who would you have me lay down my life for in the same way that you have loved me? today. Let's do that together.